0: Please can you remind me If you'll, if you'll be so kind Staring out into space Asking God to hear my case Trying to think of all things past How long will my memory last with purple angel the purple angel Hi, everyone. Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Today, we're going to be doing a video interview. So if you don't want to listen to just audio, um, you can watch us live here. And um, I, I know this is going to be a really exciting conversation. Uh, but before I introduce our guest today, I always just like to um, share who I am and why Alzheimer's Speaks was created. My name is Lori LeBay, and I am the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. I also was on a journey with my own mom for 30 years with dementia. So I I get the frustration, the fear, the exhaustion, uh, the loneliness that you can feel at times with this disease, but I was lucky enough to find that other path, that one of joy, of purpose, and interaction, and life lessons that have um, been life-changing for me. And so, boom, that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now, is to try to be able to connect you to services, products, and tools that weren't there for, you know, myself, my mom, and our family. And, and I think it's just so important for us to stay connected. On Alzheimer's Speaks, we're all about shifting our dementia care from crisis to comfort and we hope you'll join us on that journey by liking and clicking and sharing so this information can get pushed out to others. We are also known as a a media outlet to help people expand their brand footprint by leveraging all of our platforms that we have. We also um, want you to know that everyone is welcome on the show. We all need to share our stories. We all come from a different place. So today, um, we are going to be talking with two lovely ladies that are doing some really cool work. And so I'm very excited to introduce you to Dr. Mary Kay Ross. She is the founder of Brain Health and Research Institute. You know, if you follow her career, she has been very much involved in an extensive career in trauma medicine, Um, She served as the chief medical officer of MPI Cognition, a firm that assists individuals and practitioners in the prevention and reversal of cognitive decline. And she's credited with introducing the multi-model Alzheimer's therapy in the U.S. In 2010, Dr. Ross founded the Institute of Personalized Medicine. I love that title, where she established her leadership in the study of molds, toxins, fungi, and heavy metals as contributors to Alzheimer's and other brains disease and you've probably heard a lot about all of those things. And they kind of keep getting pushed down, but they keep coming up. And so we're gonna we're gonna get the the down and dirty of of how they how they work together. So welcome, Dr. Ross. How are you today?
1: Thank you, Lori. I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be here today.
0: Well, good. And next to you, your sidekick is Carrie Mills. And Carrie has actually been on our show before. Um, She is a master certified health coach and the co-author of the award-winning book, I Care, a handbook for care partners of people with dementia. She is also the author of Serving Residents with Dementia. Carrie has appeared on CBS with Dr. Matt Gomez, who is an award-winning medical correspondent and also on PBS NewsHour. So welcome, Carrie. How are you? Oh, I'm awesome. Yeah. Thrilled to be here with both of you. Well, good. Um, To start out, I always like to ask everybody if they've been personally touched. So um, Dr. Ross, if you wouldn't mind sharing if you have been personally touched by family or friends. I
1: actually have no one in my family that's ever had Alzheimer's, but I have been personally touched by illness. And so really that's what transformed my medical practice, my career, from more of a conventional medicine doctor to functional medicine. And I became particularly interested in toxins uh, because that's really what affected me. And then when I realized, I actually was introduced to Dr. Dale Bradison, who um, was talking about inhalational Alzheimer's, which is Alzheimer's that can possibly be um, linked to mold exposure this really fascinated me. And that really is how I I got started in this journey. Um, And uh, it's my passion.
0: Okay, great.
2: Um, Carrie, how about you? Yeah so I, um as i've shared with you before i actually haven't i'm i'm grateful um that i haven't and yet i i feel as though i've lived and breathed this with so many families um having sort of worked around the clock with people that that's sort of been my exposure and so i i've actually had a really pleasant experience with people with this condition for so many years which i know also is um sort of unique but no nobody in my family um nor have i um experienced any of this.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. Mary Kay, is it okay if I just call you Mary Kay? Absolutely. Okay. Why don't you, you tell us a little bit about your approach to uh, treating cognitive decline and what are some of the underlying causes that you've identified that impact the brain?
1: Sure. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. So uh, we realized because there've been over 400 different drug trials that have failed, that Alzheimer's and cognitive decline actually have many different causes, many different drivers. And, and I think it, when you think about the world that we live in, it makes sense. We've really created a very toxic world. Um, and so in looking at this disease, it affects so many people, and the numbers are just growing by leaps and bounds. And we know by 2050, we're going to be in trouble if we don't have some sort of a solution. Um, so the way that I approach it actually um, is using a multimodal approach. So looking at lifestyle, it's lifestyle medicine, it's functional medicine, and then as a physician, as I alluded to, I'm really interested in toxins, and I'm interested in looking at what the root cause of disease is. And this is a, you know, this is a chronic illness, right? So we think this happens decades before we know that it's here. And that it's really landed. So, I'm interested in looking at what kinds of things may have occurred um, in people's lives that that have spawned this. And I think it's a mixture. You know, our body is all one. So when we're exposed to things and we live, perhaps been an exposure for years. It affects other things. So our hormones go down, you know, our thyroid will be off, which is a hormone. Um, certainly nutritionally we're affected. We might have leaky gut. I think everybody's really heard of leaky gut these days. And there's definitely a brain gut connection. Um, you know, serotonin, one of our major neurotransmitters is made more in the gut than it is in the brain. So with the leaky gut, it affects our immune system. And so We approach this by looking at diet, and and when we look at diet, we want to clean it up, we want to remove all of the processed foods, we want to focus more plant-based, but we don't, you know, we're not encouraging veganism or being a vegetarian per se. We want to remove processed foods, remove sugars, simple sugar, and we do encourage more of a, a ketogenic approach. Um, Not the kind that you would find online, so no cheeseburgers (laughs) with more cheese and more (laughs) hot dogs, but but a clean form of ketosis because ketones are actually proven to be the ideal source of fuel for the brain. And we want to allow the brain to heal. So we encourage a ketogenic approach, and then we switch it. You know, once the patient has become metabolically flexible, We can then switch the diet and encourage more carbohydrates that are vegetables and clean foods. Um, Exercise is a big component. We know that when we exercise, we increase BDNF in the brain, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. And we know that patients with Alzheimer's and patients with cognitive decline, even TBI, they all have less BDNF. So, if we can do anything to encourage a brain to function better and to actually make the things that it needs to nourish itself back to health, we do that in a natural way. Sleep is important, and many, many people, as they get older, have sleep problems. So, we approach it by looking at number one, do they have sleep apnea? Because if they do, we want to intervene. So, we always check that in our patients and then we work on sleep hygiene. We have a a different approach um, trying to help people get back to sleeping eight hours a day. We think that's really important. It allows your brain a chance to heal. Uh, We believe, and and, um, this is all being studied currently, that autophagy occurs when people are sleeping. And this is when your cells actually wake up and clean house. So very similar to you uh, can't clean house with all your children running around in the house. Well, your brain can't clean house when there's many other things going on. So sleeping is a great opportunity for our body to clean up. And we also practice mindfulness. So we focus on stress management. You know, Lori, I believe that stress is something that really is just as deadly as as smoking cigarettes or Uh, drinking too much alcohol or eating really bad food. So we find that as we get older and as we get sicker, we deal less well with stress. So we teach people how to use mindfulness and um, that's a big part of our plan as well.
0: Well, those are wonderful areas. Diet, exercise. I love the sleep hygiene because we don't think about it in that in that mode. Right. And then um, the, the mindfulness. Can do you mind explaining to people just a little bit about the leaky gut? I think we don't have to dive in super deep. And then same when you're talking about the ketos. I think people hear it, but they don't really, what does it mean? They don't really know how to apply.
1: So basically leaky gut, um, when we think about our gut and we think about really from our mouth all the way through to the other end, we're talking about cells and the health of the cells. And we have one layer of cells that line our gut. And they're really responsible for absorbing nutrients. Um, They're held together by what we call gap junctions. And so you know, if you think about my hands, as each one is a cell, they're enterocytes. So they're usually very tight and food goes through, and we have little finger-like projections. It's like shag carpeting that absorbs nutrients. And then what happens is over time, if we're eating things that aren't settling with us, so think about like the person that that always has, and I'll just use this as an example, reflux or always has irritable bowel, and they take medicines for it so they can continue to eat the stuff that makes them sick. Suddenly, their shag carpet becomes Berber and we're not absorbing nutrients, right? And suddenly their gap junctions give way and things are leaking. And we're really not meant to see big food particles. They're not really big, but they're big to our body. And we're not meant to see individual food particles. We're meant to have it all broken down. And so our body sees this as an offender and we build antibodies against it. And this can actually lead to autoimmune disease, but we also believe that it definitely affects the brain-gut connection, because we make serotonin in our gut, and we have lots of neural fibers that go down to the gut, and this can affect the whole brain-gut axis, if you will, and, um, and lead to other illnesses. Um, so really, the gut, gut health is prominent. It's the number one thing that we look at. We want to make sure in in anybody, in children, you know, children that have eczema and allergies and all these things, the first thing you do is heal their gut. And so that's very important um, in all health and in functional medicine. So uh, when we talk about ketones now and, and the brain, when we're babies, we actually are in ketosis initially. But as we go through life, think about the uh, standard American diet or the SAD diet. We really rely on sugar for our fuel, okay? So we eat high carbohydrates that turn to sugar. We eat processed foods and things with sugar. And what happens is that's not the ideal fuel for your brain. So it's not the ideal fuel for membranes. And, And the brain, it's all about membrane health. And ketones are actually an ideal fuel for the brain. So we really do encourage ketosis. It's very different than the diet that you see online. When you look online, you're looking at people that are trying to lose weight. And we're thinking of things like the Atkins diet. And and honestly, I don't know that I think those are the healthiest of diets. So when we're approaching this, we're trying to relieve inflammation, inflammation. We're trying to eat more anti-inflammatory foods. We're trying to consume really healthy, brain-healthy fats um, because we know that that the brain needs good fat to heal. Um, And and we're trying to give sort of an ideal situation for brain healing. Um, So we do encourage ketosis, especially in the beginning. We look for ketone numbers ranging between 1.5 to 4. And um, when Dr. Bredesen, I used to work with Dr. Dale Bredesen as his chief medical officer, and in the beginning, we thought that 0.5 was, was going to be a good range. It's not enough. So we really push it up to 1.5 and four. And then once the person becomes metabolically flexible and they're staying in ketosis you know for most of the time, and we don't really encourage those levels like all day long, then it's time to start adding color in and adding good healthy vegetables that have a higher sugar count and that are starchier that most people think of that they can't eat when they're doing the ketogenic diet. So really our diet is a little different. It's more plant-based. When we encourage people to eat meat, we encourage it to be sourced properly. Um, We use a lot of salmon. We try to eat cleaner fish that don't have high mercury levels. and then we try to avoid a lot of red meat. And when we do eat red meat, we want it to be pasture raised and um, it's just a clean sourcing of the uh, food.
0: Wonderful. That that was really helpful in terms of in terms of breaking that down. Um, It made made a lot of sense. And I had to giggle when you said the SAD diet, the standard American diet. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what an acronym acronym that one is. (laughs) So um, Mary Kay, can you tell us what are some examples of of your treatment plans? Can you give us some specifics at all, like sleep hygiene and some of the things that we mentioned? Sure, absolutely. So
1: You know, the way that we start with patients, we really do a deep dive and we look at their whole life and we um, do a thorough history taking and, and then we really kind of diagram out what we think their weaknesses are. We do also, I just want to throw this in there, we do a lot of labs. So we're looking at individual nutritional levels. We're looking at inflammatory markers. We're looking at hormones. We're looking at thyroid hormones. We're looking at stress hormones, cortisol. That's really important. Um, so we're trying to look at that, and we we certainly use a lot of supplements to fix things, if you will. Um, but when we when we go through each individual area, when we're looking at sleep hygiene, for example, you know, our bedroom should be our haven. Um, we really should walk in in the evening and just ah, oh, you know, this is this is where I want to be. It feels good. It looks good. It's Everything's where it needs to be in its place. There's no mess. There's no clutter and no TV. So that's a big. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> and and so we really it's it's a winding down of your day. You know, you can't sit and watch TV and the news and the election information and all these things, and then just go to bed and sleep. You just can't do that. So we really want people to be mindful and to slowly wind down their evening you know bright lights go down a little dimmer and then if you're inclined you can take a nice hot tub light some candles play some music and relax put some epsom salts and bath you know oils in and and use some aromatherapy because all of this helps kind of set the stage Um, but your you really bed should just be for rest um, and, and, um, not reading, not playing games on your phone or your iPad, um, you know, and, and then the whole EMF thing is a whole nother story that actually I'm really starting to pay a lot of attention to, but, um, that sleep hygiene really, um, it's, it's waking up refreshed and, and, and approaching your life from a mindful way and a mindful perspective.
0: And and I can say at one time I was really good at that and <laughs> I'm kind of falling back in where I'm, I'm checking my emails. I'm looking at the news. I have the TV going on. It's, you know, <laughs> I, I, it, I, I'm doing everything wrong, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's a- video, right? Yeah. And there really is a huge difference. There is just such a huge difference where, you know, I was at one time in a really good practice of doing some meditation, lighting the candles and just being grateful, you know, for my day and then going to bed. And it was like, I slept so much better. Why did I stop? You know, I, I really need to, I really need to change that. Um, I've been, um, and I think a lot of people I, I was listening to, I think it was Ariana um, Huffington was, uh, interviewing people on sleep and they were talking about how, you know, like Sunday, somebody said Sunday was just their down day and they just kind of TV binge watch and sleep. I mean, it's just this calming thing, but it's, it, it really isn't sleep when you've got that TV going. No, all. And, and I know that a lot of uh, a lot of my friends do that and um, and I can do that at times as well, where there's a difference between are we really relaxed and are we really sleeping in the regeneration of our brain and, and what is happening there. So I think it's a, an extremely important conversation. I loved when Rudy Tanzi talked about, I used to pride myself on being a multitasker, not getting much sleep. And he's like, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. no, Me too. Yeah, I did yeah. that.
1: I yeah, you know, I can relate to that. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's something I think our society, it's almost expected of us to be available and accessible 24 seven. And that we are supposed to be knowledgeable about every little twist and turn. And, um, you know, it, and if something big happens, we're gonna be notified when we wake up. We will. Exactly right. we That's exactly know. right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But it's it's uh it's interesting if it's people playing games or tied into the news or doing work. Um, you know, we hear about the blue light, and you know, I know I've I've turned right. my um, lighting down on my phone, and then it's like I just have to squint a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being older. <laughs> So it's kind of, it's kind of funny on that. How about exercise? How do you, how do you approach that? Well, as you know, all people come in all shapes and sizes
1: and, um, fitness levels, but we know that a good exercise regime is really important and, and intermittent, um, the HIIT program, basically the high intensity, um, Training is really important. And so if they can intermittently move, you know, faster and and do the intervals, even if they don't do anything normally, so we're starting from zero, you know, the couch potato, so to speak, we can get out and walk. And once we start walking, I encourage them to just do little intervals and increase them and, and then continue and time them. Um, and eventually, maybe they're ready to tackle the HIIT program um, with some high-intensity uh, training. And really, we know that with high-intensity training, we increase BDNF in the brain. So that's really important. Um, and then I always encourage people to do some weight training. Um, I think it's important for muscle mass and bone health. Um, but and, and also balance. Balance is really important. So using a BOSU ball. Um, and when some people start by just getting out of bed and literally holding onto a chair and standing on one foot, I mean it's that basic in the beginning. But um, ultimately, the goal is to work towards the hip program, working on balance and and trying to move, just move regularly. You know, um, dance classes are a great way for couples. So if we have patients that that would enjoy the movement, enjoy the music. I encourage that. I think that's fantastic. Um, so, you know, it's it's all about movement.
0: Well, and it's so interesting. I mean, I, I sit and I look at myself and go, yeah, just walk. Because I, I sit in this chair and I'm plugging away at my computer and I'm busy all the time, but I'm not moving. And I know that I, even if it's just going up and down my steps in my house, you know, um, would would even help. But it's. But I hear so many people complain about the lack of movement and how, you know, work and social engagement is is just this, you know, itty bitty screen and some taps yes. in the fingers. Yeah, yes. yeah. We yeah.
1: we really have become a sedentary society, yeah. and you know, I don't think we've even realized the the problems that this is going to cause, um, and it's just the beginning. Um, so, any chance that you can walk somewhere, any chance you can take stairs over an elevator, um, ride a bike—it—it it certainly, um, I think, will pay pay you back many times.
0: Yeah, yeah I can. I, I know. I can feel the the muscle loss, or even just playing with my grandkids, it's like, okay, I'll get down, but I don't know if I'll get back up. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, And It's like, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm older, I'm 60, but it's like, I'm not that old. And I, you know, I want to be more active. So I know I have to be more conscious about that. How about mindfulness? Can you talk a little bit about that? And then I want to pull um, Carrie into the conversation here. Sure. So I think mindfulness is crucial.
1: And, and, you know, to what does that really mean? I think it means living in the moment. I think it means being gracious and, and um, being mindful and thoughtful about how you live your life and how you feel about things. And so w- the way that I look at this world is not only a toxic world, but we've created a world where we have a predominance of... Um, Sympathetic tone, does that make any sense? Have you ever heard that used before that term? So we have an autonomic nervous system. It's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, okay? And parasympathetic is kind of like where you kick back, chill out, rest, digest, okay? So physiologically, things change as well when we're talking about uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic. Sympathetic tone is that's your fight or flight. Okay. If you know, we've all heard the stories like I've never seen this, but where a car falls on somebody and a bit, a man, skinny old man runs out there and picks the car up. Okay. How did he do that? His fight or flight, his sympathetic tone kicked in and his adrenaline flows and his cortisol went up. And so it's all physiological, but it affects our brain. So then fast track to the world. What do we do? We grab our dinner, we stand there, we're eating it as we're jumping in our car, right, driving down the road, whether you're driving carpool and picking kids up, whether you, I used to work in the emergency room, so I'm eating as I'm running down the hall and doing this and doing that and getting this going and that going, and you're not taking the time to fall into a parasympathetic tone. So guess what's happening? You're not digesting your food. And suddenly, I think this is also a big factor for leaky gut and for chronic health problems. And then we we get into this mode, it's almost like a, a, a lawnmower engine that gets stuck in a, you know, and, it, and it's idling fast. And we need to actually intervene. Well, when people get sick, and especially with cognitive problems, you know, cortisol is toxic to your hippocampus. It's gonna make it go away. And so we really have to work on this. Some patients are better than others. But some people come in and stress really is the driver of their disease. And, you know, when you start really um, interviewing people and you listen to stories and you start looking for causes, a lot of times there's this horrible, stressful event. And we really have to go back and retrain them. So I... I'm a person that really needs, um, I need to be able to see the success that I do. So I'm kind of a type A personality that's really worked really hard to calm down. And, um, and so we use things that give us some biofeedback. So some people can sit and meditate and that's great. But when you take somebody who's already sick and they've kind of gotten in this habit, you know, they don't, they don't sleep right. They don't, they're not mindful about their life then we really take them back and we use things like a Muse headband. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, um, but it's, it's a very interesting thing. It's a headband that you wear. Um, it reads your brain waves, literally. And it's something that you can use the biofeedback from that to understand if you're achieving parasympathetic tone, you actually get birds, you collect birds. So, For example, you might have it downloaded on your phone and you put your little earbuds in so you can listen to your phone and you're hearing the rain and the rain is falling. You go like in a tropical forest and you close your eyes and you breathe with it, meditate and all of a sudden the rain goes away. You've controlled the weather. You've quieted it down with your brain and you hear the birds. And so I use this with patients. Sometimes it's my patients are, are progressed and they can't really do that. And then we do other things. We use heart math, We use Pink Noise. Um, there's all kinds of programs online. Calm is a great one. And apps. And, and so we really work with patients to try and achieve this. Um, we think that uh, meditation classes are great. You know, there's just many different avenues to approach it. But it changes everything. It changes digestion. It changes sleep. And it changes attitudes. And it
0: changes neurogenesis and neuroplasticity so wow that's that's pretty fascinating yeah. how are patients responding to this these types of treatment plans
2: so actually i was thinking about this person that we we met this um in the last couple of weeks and some people you know so i mean there's a lot of question, a lot of things we just covered right but to this one in particular it was a gentleman that was sort of like Mindfulness, that's like I'm not easy, you know, I'm that's not my thing, basically. And so we talked about what he does do to sort of be mindful. And he was talking about using um like playing a game on his phone. So I said, okay, for fun, let's set up the headband and let's track it. Let's see how you do while you're playing your game, right? And of course I expected him to fail miserably because I didn't expect that it's going to be going to be successful and he ends up getting six birds in a three minute time frame which isn't bad right I mean I did a woman this morning she got two so I mean six was already better so he was sort of like yes I'm going to go to Dr. Ross I'm going to tell her I can play the games on my phone and I'm like great I've just created a small monster but whatever I mean if it works it works right so he then I said okay well let's for comparison purposes why don't we see how you do if you actually like kind of just think of something mindful rather than playing your game. And it turns out that he has, he's a hiker and he has this particular spot that he goes to. And as he comes over the curve of the mountain, he just, you know, the the world kind of opens up to him anyway. So he, I don't find this out until after, after we see that he got 24 birds in a three-minute time frame, and it was sort of. Like, and then he was like on fire about it. He was like, "Isn't that amazing?" And he just kept talking about what he saw and how positive this was. And his stress is somebody who's it's super high for him, and so. It ended up just like to this point, it sort of opened up this conversation about, you know, it's not necessarily just for people who are into that sort of thing. You know, this is real. That's something you do every day. I mean, that's something that you do on occasion, but it's something you need to think about more frequently because look at what it does for you right so I mean that's that was just for mindfulness and it people for the most part are actually there's parts of it that they get overwhelmed with but that's where our team comes in I mean we we're not like here's what you have to go do and go do it on your own that's where we as a team like we support people um through this journey because it would be so hard to do it by themselves and we want people to be compliant obviously um there's some things for, you know, some people come in and they love the, they love food and so they can't wait to figure out how they're gonna figure it out, everything out. And then we have other people that are like, he retired 20 years ago and I retired from the kitchen 20 years ago and we go out to eat and we're like, okay, then let us help you find restaurants that will be of value for us. Or how do we help you have like quick recipes that you can just pull out of the fridge and put on the table, right? Like our whole goal is to sort of meet people where they're at and then help them accommodate from there. and so. And that's where that, that coaching component really comes in and where Dr. Ross is talking about with this really like specific to each person plan. It's not really just like, here, here's what we know what we need to get to, but depending on where you start, that's going to look different. So the, the thing is people like it, right? Because for the most part, you know, you take Alzheimer's disease and you take myocognitive impairment and you take just the fear that my mom had it and I'm going to get it. And one of the biggest things, as you know well, from just doing this so well with your mom and all the people that you've met along the way, people feel helpless, right? At the end of the day, people just feel like, how am I, there's nothing I can do. And so they oftentimes create problems, right? in trying to make things better, or they themselves just, you know, kind of fall into this desperate state. And so what's awesome about what we're doing is we're not just asking people to like spin their wheels. We're like, no, it's going to be hard. But at the same time, like you're going to see results. And so- it's fascinating. And that's sort of like the hope that people live on. And then, right, they have these moments. I was talking with this one lady, I'm obviously one of the health coaches that follows up with people weekly. And she said, you know, I don't know if it's psychosomatic. And then she starts telling me all these good things. it's like, it's not psychosomatic. That's the reality. First of all, like you're not living in the same fear spot you've been in, right? In this depressed state, like you're, you're optimistic and you're being proactive. And oh, and that's so funny. You're actually doing better now you might have bad moments you might have good moments but that seems to sort of be like a recurring thing that I'm starting to hear people say like yeah I'm not sure this really happened but and then they go into something that's like positive so
0: well and I think giving people you know a space where they could even talk about this where they start to consciously care not only for their their person that they're caring for but for themselves in terms of how is this journey affecting me along the way and you know there's so many things for us to take in and there's so much information out there um it, having a coach in that safe place i i you know i was smiling when you were talking about well i don't know if it's this or if it's that but you know they're starting to use the terms and they're i mean you, you can just um just from when you were talking you could just feel the penetration and the change Um, And hopefully those people are having conversations with their friends and family members about what they're experiencing as well, because, you know, we need that ripple effect to go out far and fast. And I think people are fascinated that, you know, the things that you're studying that really you you can get some data on this, on how it's affecting Mm -hmm. me, because I think we've brushed this stuff off for so long. And I mean, I think of even just mindfulness in and of itself so many people poo-poo that, you know, it's new age, it's anti-religious, it's, I mean, there were so many excuses with it all, Um, you know, I can come up with a million of them for eating and exercise myself, (laughs) (laughs) and and it's because it's our comfort zone, because, you know, we don't like to change those those habits and stuff. What are some of the obstacles, Carrie, that you'd say are, are pretty common for people to, to face, especially initially?
2: Um, so I think what you just said was one of them, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, sort of like, well, this is my habit. And this is how I've always done things. And so one of the ways we actually overcome that is we sort of look at it like as a sphere. And it's like, okay, these are the things we have to cover like let's 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 go through each one let's dig a little bit deep let's find out how you're doing and then one of my favorite things to be able to do is like give them a high five and say go ahead and check that off the list like that's an area that you're already doing some success in right and so the the probably the biggest the biggest outcome is that people initially may feel overwhelmed but that's when we then, like we go through and we just break it down for them. And we break down, okay, so if you were going to exercise, when would you want to, ex- like realistically for you, Laurie LeVay, when would be a good time for you to exercise, right? And then that's a mini conversation so that you start to you start to talk out loud about, well, what would success look like for you? How would that be possible for you? Oh, well, I have the dog that right now just runs out in the backyard, but I've had thoughts about bringing the dog for a walk in the neighborhood, right? So. That was something you came up with. We don't have to come up with that, right? That's something you can come up with. So as we help people sort of um, come to conclusions on their own about where they have success, that's already one obstacle that's overcome. And then the um, the other one is there are a lot of supplements involved. So that one, I actually, I'm thrilled. So what Dr. Ross did with um, her team just before we opened is they, they actually came up with a powder that has like a, a large percentage of the Um, supplements that people like kind of our our base, our base uh, prescription, if you will. And it's all in a powder. And so it's been so fun for me because I'm able to say, oh, you have a lot of supplements. You know, we have this powder, you know, and just like, like, as though like they just this is something. um, And so that's been awesome. And again, just, you know, it was interesting. We were working with this one woman, she's like in her mid fifties and super smart, like still working, like doing this because she just doesn't want to get the disease. And she was saying, you know what, but I'm, I don't want to start the brain games. And she was just sort of talking about like how she hadn't gotten there, hadn't gotten there. And I said, well, you know, what's your reasoning? And she said, you know, I think I'm afraid to fail, right? Now, mind you, I mean, listen, I'm super competitive and I do not want to fail. And I'll half the time cheat in order to not fail. I mean, I admit that, right? But the reality is, if you never try something right, you never do well. And so in that moment, we flipped open her computer got the game started. We did the first game together. I'm telling you, she did so well. I couldn't even keep up with her. Like it was really like amazing. And so again, those are the obstacles, right? Just the unknown can be fearful for people. And so because people come and spend two days with us, we have the time to be able to just like go through these things that you may or may not think that you're capable of, or that you have fear around, or you really need to hash something out, but that's why you're here. Right. And so that, those are just that are some examples of how we, we sort of overcome the main obstacles. Great, thank you. Dr. Ross, did you want to add anything?
1: I think, well, what I would really like to add is this. I think that this disease, and anything really that affects cognition, is something that our society looks at so differently. and And unfortunately, so I've heard it so many times from people, you know, they will have felt like something was happening, but they were afraid to tell their spouse or anybody else because, you know, it kind of looks like maybe they're not as smart as they used to be. And, and then the other thing is from a society like doctors and spouses, we always want to help people. And so when we think of it as something that no one can help, we don't want anybody to have it. So doctors will have patients come in and say, you know, I'm really worried about my memory. I know I'm only 52, but I can't remember words and I don't remember names. And they'll say, oh, you know, you're just stressed. This is just stress. And I've seen this time and time again. And then a year and a half later, they are full-blown Alzheimer's and their hippocampal volume now is atrophied down to less than 1%. And we really, you know, probably could have really staved that disease off had we jumped in earlier. So I think the way that we look at it, the way we talk about it needs to change. People need to realize there is hope and that there's benefit in supporting each other. Caretakers feel so isolated. Um, Carrie is actually starting a caretakers group and a patient group because it's so important that people have other people to talk to and realize they're not by themselves And this has nothing to do with intelligence. This is just like a broken arm, only it's your brain. And we really need to look at it that way and and get away from feeling ashamed of it and and jump in and help it before it ever really hits. So prevention is going to be where it's at.
0: It really is one of those invisible diseases that people looking, Oh, well, you look normal. Everything seems yeah. fine. And, you know, our social skills um, for many of us can really hide those things. I know for my mom, and she was just a little whippersnapper when it came to conversation. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, when she got with her friends, they were reminiscing. So all those things became easier. She was comfortable with them. I mean, you can kind of go on and on with that. Now, where, where are you guys located? And um, is this covered by insurance or is this private pay? Well, first of all, we're located in Seattle, Washington. <laughs> and
1: it's, it's pretty funny we laugh because we have an amazing team, I have to tell you. But we've all moved across the country to do this here. And, and when I put this group together, I really looked for what I thought were the best and I didn't care that they had their own practices going on and everybody was successful. Um, And we've gotten everybody to move across the country here. We have partnered up with the Institute for Systems Biology. So these are some of our world's top scientists and we actually meet with them every two weeks. We sit around a table with scientists, a whole team, that work on our patients and we talk about biomarkers and studies that we're doing and we have several studies actively going on. Um, and our patients come for two days at a time and when and that's their initial evaluation. We have a neuropsychologist that does testing um, and then um, we have had all the labs done prior. We've had the MRI done prior and um, I have another doctor on staff with me, and we have a chef, we have a teaching kitchen, and we have a registered dietitian nutritionist. We have other health coaches, and Carrie really is the glue here. Um, She does an amazing, amazing job. We do not have insurance covering the program, but we do have insurance covering um, labs. We have the MRI covered by insurance. We try to cover as much as we can, and we've really put a program or multiple programs actually together uh, that provide the patients with all the tools they need. So we've built it out so they have everything at their fingertips to be successful. And um,
0: we're getting some really good results. It's, it's too bad that it's not fully covered. And it's too bad that you don't have, you know, little clinics
1: all over the country but yeah, you know, they say say <laughs>
0: because we are
1: working actually with someone, an insurance company um, and they have a foundation they're interested in doing a study. You know, it, I think it will be covered. And I don't think though that people can wait yeah. um, to, you know, until it is, we need to prove that there is something that can be done. Um, you know, if we had a pill, for example, that stop the progression of everybody's cognitive decline. Do you think that would be important? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we, can, we can halt the progression when we're, we're not a cure. We do make, um, it depends on how advanced things are. Early on, we can completely get rid of it. Um, and um, I think it will be covered
0: someday. I do. I do too. I just, I just wish that day was here already. You know, I, you get, uh, and Carrie knows this too, you, you get so connected to people that you, that you meet and are just brilliant and they so bad want resources and not all of them can afford, you know, to, to fly out or to, to pay on their own. But I, I think this is, I, I'm so, I'm so glad that, that Carrie and I touch base um, to hear about what you're doing. Cause I, I've so respected her work and, um, and I can tell just by talking with you, I mean, I'm just thrilled to death about what you're doing. And uh, you. this is really, really exciting, exciting stuff is there is there one story Carrie that sticks out to you that was really a success story um, you've you shared a few things with people, but anything else that sticks
2: so so i've so just to backtrack for a second, I had started doing this work in New York right, and so my my biggest challenge was that i um I really wanted to be able to have the whole team I wanted to be able to work alongside a, a physician that was just you know, breathing this in and out, which, and so I had brought a patient to Dr. Ross. That was how we actually met. We actually met like this. I we know, met on we a did. Zoom call that was four <laughs> hours long. And, um, and so um, coming here and getting to meet, you know, so many of her patients already, you know, as we're sort of bringing everything together. Um, there's a couple of them. I mean, I, I uh, without names, we, we had a patient who was here a few weeks ago, and they've been on TV, and they are Dr. Ross's patients. She's done an amazing job with them over the la- course of the last few years. And this was a woman who I wouldn't have known how debilitated she was. There was no way for me to know that because she was so she was functioning so independently. She was somebody who, as I understand from her husband and from Dr. Ross, like she was just somebody who was kind of completely, you know. Apathetic, she her, totally flattened her demeanor, um, not engaged at all. And like you would have had no idea to the point that I ended up talking with the husband, like, So should we talk about learned helplessness? Because I think your wife actually can be doing more, yeah. but he's gotten so accustomed. And he was like, Duh, yeah. And then I would watch her in her moment by herself, and she's paying attention, and she's following directions, and she's having a conversation, and she's laughing, and he's sort of a Huge personality, so she, you know, she was. I needed to like extract her from that. But then, like, just watching her follow conversation and give her two cents, it was like nobody would have known how declined this woman had become. You, I again, I couldn't know it because I never saw it. All I saw was this sort of this this new and improved version. And the cool part is, it's actually affecting their whole family. It's affected her husband in a positive way. Two out of her three children, they're all sort of on this like, you know. Um, like prevention path for themselves, like in a positive way, it's affected all of them. And so, um, yeah, when I get to meet people like that, I just sit there and I'm like, it's like, it's mind blowing to me that I would have met you down the road or I would have met you where Dr. Ross met you, but you, there was two different paths
0: for you to take and you took a path. that's like incredible. So yeah. Wow. Wow. How about, how about you, Mary Kay, any, particular one that stands, success story that, that stands
1: out okay. for you. So I mean I've I've actually had a lot of patients that have done really well. Um I think of a psychiatrist that I have in New York and um she's retired and when she came she had full blown Alzheimer's and was really struggling. Um we do a thing called brain HQ. It's a brain exercise program. I think I forgot to mention that. And I apologize, um, that it really does help as well. And it can strengthen areas of weakness. Well, she couldn't even do it. I mean, it was, it was absolutely too hard. And, um, now she is at the 98th percentile and, and it is really hard. (laughs) Let me tell you, it is hard.
2: And, and,
1: uh, she monitors herself. She does it 45 minutes every day. But the, the patients that have gotten so much better that, honestly, their doctors have said, and we're talking about conventional doctors, mm-hmm. have said, listen, we'll remove the Alzheimer's. And they gave her an MCI, so mild cognitive. Now we've done volumetrics. We've actually seen an increase in the volume of her hippocampus significantly. And she's doing great, but she's still coming to Seattle because what they're doing is they still have these little lingering problems, things with visual spatial problems or mathematics. Um, and those are things we're working on. But, yeah, I, we have people. And, you know, I have to mention one other thing because I have a lot of people ask me, how do you know when someone's too bad to help, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this is as far as long as everybody's on the same page. I don't know that there's ever a time it's too far along. And what I mean by that is this, I've had patients who literally we couldn't test them for neuropsychological testing because they were unable to do anything. They couldn't speak, you know, nonverbal, um, being led around by her husband. But today, she's still at home with her husband three years later. You know, she sleeps at home in her own bed. She sings a little bit. She can read some children's nursery rhymes, mm-hmm. and she's continent, She's continent. yep, um, and they dance together. They ride a bicycle built for two, and she kayaks, so to me, at the end stage of Alzheimer's, if we can do that and keep you out of a home, and your family can still enjoy you and live with you, and you can live your life out there, I think that's a win, so I think when you look at this disease, you look at this program, there's a lot of applications patience for it. And you have to just understand and be very candid with where you are and what we can do for it.
0: Wow. Those, those are incredible stories. Um, and it really gives, gives great, great hope. Um, I, I just, um, I'm kind of at a loss for words, you know, <laughs> it would be just so nice to have, I mean, we look at all the money that's put into, you know the pharma, and if we put more into this to be able to test it and study it to push forward, um, only seems to to make sense. And and yet, yeah, I know that that's a tough one um, to do. Are you um, are you doing anything on a like nonprofit level where people can donate?
1: So we haven't done that yet because we've only been open for five weeks. (laughs) I'm still in a temporary office. My build-out was just finished and I'm moving to tomorrow and today. But this is a plan that we have. So on a very, very basic level, we've agreed, most of us in our team, to donate $200 of our own money every month to a fund. And then once we get our build-out finished, we're going to have some retail And we were going to take some of the funds from the retail and put it in a fund for patients, but a nonprofit, I, you know, it's just another big step that I don't know a lot about, but I want to do something to help people that can't afford it. And, you know, we do run into patients we have already in our five weeks that really can't afford what they need. And we just figure out a way to kind of get it done.
0: Yeah. It just, it seems like there's gotta be somebody out there listening um, that's sitting on a mountain of money and that wants to give a great legacy um, we will take it <laughs> we, we will figure out how to
2: do the nonprofit overnight and we will we will happily happily be the receivers this yeah. is definitely something that is on my list to do um yeah. it needs to be done
0: yeah it's it's too bad i mean i'm a, i'm a firm believer and I've, I've kind of taken this stance the the last 10 years i've been in this arena that we have enough nonprofits, but we just need to be more collaborative in terms of, of working together. And it would be nice to to, for, uh, to allow you to focus on what you do well and let a nonprofit, you know, be that keeper of the funds and be involved in terms of how that is is spent and promoted to help families. Yeah. Um, and I, I sometimes don't understand why we don't do that. More and better, but when there's profit and nonprofit, it just seems to be a tangled mess. I agree. Which to me is is really really sad, and that's one of my things. I would love to see, love to see changed. Um, any last comments that you that you have, uh, Dr. Ross? Well, I guess the, the, the last thing I always want everybody to remember
1: is that there is hope. And um, this is something we're very passionate about. And I think it's something that we really need to let, you know, lay people know that this is available and we need physicians to train in this multimodal approach and functional medicine and to really look at this disease with a different lens Um, The lens that we've been using hasn't been working. And so we really need to understand that maybe there's more to this. Um, I definitely think that um, the environment and genetics combined can create this. Um, So environmental exposures, meaning just lifestyle, though, that's an environment, right? And those are all exposures. And yeah. Yeah. I think that, that the future is, is holds a lot of answer for this disease, mm-hmm. hopefully in the next few years. We'll be working really hard on it.
0: Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to even, um, I mean, there's so many people, this disease knows no barriers. We know that it, it goes after a little bit of everybody, but um, even to get the professional sports involved in testing mm-hmm. this out, that is such a huge area of concern. I think for them. And, um, and I don't know if there's a difference, if it's the CTE versus Alzheimer's or Lewy body. Um, we didn't really get into that. Any comment on that?
1: Well, I think that, um, I think that you hit a big nail on the head there. Mm -hmm. I think that, so the professional sports obviously are at risk and, and the players are, and that's something we're actually looking into and I want to become more active and, Um, that arena. We are um, getting a technology from Canada that is not FDA approved yet. And we're going to incorporate it in our studies. But they've been looking at players in the locker room and comparing preseason, postseason, even if you haven't had an injury, you're not as good as you were when you started. So these are all things we want to learn more about and look at and help. Because I think, you know, obviously, that's, that's a big impact in dementia. And then as far as Lewy body, uh, frontotemporal dementia, you know, we have patients with all of these and we look at all neurodegenerative diseases. And some of the treatments are slightly um, different in the protocol, but really it's, it's a very similar approach and they all have different causes. It's not that you can say one cause for this disease. Um, so it's, it's something that's definitely in our
0: wheelhouse. No, one thing I just want to clarify, cause you had mentioned that you've only been open five weeks. You've been doing this work much longer. Ten and years, years. And years, years. Okay. So I just, I just wanted to clarify that. And I probably should have done that earlier for people. Um, but to know this isn't a, oh, we did, we did excellent results in five weeks. And yes. No, 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 no. I've been doing this for years and, um,
1: What I've done is I had the opportunity to actually put a team together and work with the scientists, and I feel like that's essential. So that's really what brought me across the country from Georgia. And uh, Carrie came from New York, and Dr. Locken came from Alabama, and Dr. Whiting came from Savannah. So we've all, you know, made the trek to get here and work alongside science. So we're really, really excited.
0: Wonderful, Carrie, anything that you'd like to add?
2: Well, first of all, from both of us, we just want to say thank you i mean we're thrilled to be with you and I think um yeah i mean as a as a regular lay person who's walked this line with families and you know so many professionals um, it, I know this all sounds too good to be true and so sixteen years I, I preached the same message that so many people are and I you know I was skeptical of everything that would have come across as, you know, this could be helpful because it flies in the face of everything that you hear every day. But the reality is we're seeing it, we're living it, we're breathing it. Like we aren't people who would be able in our own soul to be able to sit here and tell you this if it if it actually didn't happen in front of our eyes. And so I would say, you know, your 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 current state may not have to be your state. And so if you if you want to fight it, if you're tired and you can't, we get that, too. And, you know, no judgment there. But at the same time if you want to fight it, then call us. Like we, we want to help you through this because we know that there can be a different ending for you. And so um, we want to at least tell you what that looks like for you. Right. And be able to have that conversation. So I would say that we want the skeptics to call, we want the hopeless to call, you know, I mean, we would want anybody who's like just even giving this any thought, like we, we would love to be able to work with people like that. So yeah, I say to myself basically, you know, a handful of years ago, pay attention. It's worth investigating. You know, things change, science changes, we learn new things. And so be willing to take the risk here because it's worth the risk.
0: So one thing I want to clarify is you said, you know, they come out two days for the initial study. How often do they have to come back? Or can things be done via video conference and things that might be helpful for people to know too?
1: one of the reasons that we chose the two-day thing, because we really all, you know, worked together to decide what we really felt like was important. People aren't very good at judging where they are cognitively. Their (laughs) spouses are not very good at it. And so I decided that we aren't going to sign you up, let's say, for a a prevention program and maybe you're not really prevention, you see. So what we've done is we have a series of programs and it's like a sliding scale, if you will, because I believe that this disease is. I really believe that you start with SCI and MCI and I don't think doctors even are all that great at determining where you are. So we want to see you at least and in person and we're actually taking our team to Atlanta to see patients over the holidays yeah. because you're going to so we're trying to make this accessible, but, um, so they come for the two days and they really get a very good foundation and everything. And we get to evaluate them thoroughly. And at the end of it, we have a program that we suggest. It certainly can be changed somewhat modified according to the needs. And then, We do it via telecommunications, so we do Zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're in town, they're welcome to come in. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them want to come back every so. We had someone who said, well, I will come, you know, about every two to three months. And I said, okay, from California. So, you know, we're open to whatever works, but we feel like it's so important that we get the right diagnosis up front and that we can really you know, say we did our very best to figure out exactly where you are in the spectrum, rather than assume that you know what you're talking about and have you sign up for a program.
0: So with labs, do they go through their general practitioner in their location to get some? Sometimes sometimes they do. We have a
1: doctor Mm -hmm. and our doctor will do a phone call with them, an intake phone call. lasts about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And then Um, he will order their labs, order their MRI. If for some reason, for example, Kaiser, if you have Kaiser insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, that's an HMO. And so they prefer you to do it through your doctor. We're happy to work with your doctor and help them know what the labs are because some of them are very different. We're happy to do whatever it is. There's also companies online like Life Extension, where you can actually purchase your labs yourself, mm-hmm. and then you at least know what you're paying if you think your insurance wouldn't cover them. We have great luck, though, with insurance, mm-hmm. and um, so, yeah, we try to get everything before you come so that when you come, you know, we can really give you a true assessment um, and and be all over it.
0: Wonderful. Well, this is this is really exciting. Now, as far as finding out kind of pricing and stuff, is that – is that during the consultation then, or can you give people, a, you know, kind of a guesstimate of what something like this would run? So we, we pretty much do the pricing when they're there um, because we have two
1: options. You can pay um, sort of like an a la carte menu, if you will. Um, and, and we all just, you know, build for our time. Um, and then we also put programs together where you actually get a better deal. We include things like um, a ViaLite, for example. ViaLite is biophotomodulation therapy. It's, an, it's like a $2,500 device, and we just throw it in there um, because we really want just to get the success rates is what we want, and we want to be able to have the data to put it into the studies. So, but the prices range, you know, they're very variable depending on the amount of work that needs to be done.
0: And that's that's uh fair. So thank you for even even going there. So people can go to your website, brainhealthandresearch.com. dot com. That's brainhealthandresearch.com. dot com. Or you also have a one-eight hundred number, eight hundred nine three six twelve seventy two. twelve seventy-two. That's again eight hundred nine three six twelve seventy two. twelve seventy-two. Um, thank you, ladies, so much for being with us today. This has just been absolutely fascinating and really, really exciting. Thanks, Lori. Thank you, Lori, yeah. so much. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great quick motivational pick me up for your days. Join me listen now search for senior fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.